The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. The headlines from the war in Ukraine are getting harder to read. I don't know if any of you saw the address of President Zelensky to Congress last week, but the images were, were heartbreaking. Cities destroyed, people killed, children orphaned. You look at it and you, you want to ask God, why, why, Lord, why would you, why does this happen, this kind of tragedy? Of course, we also ask that question, not just about global tragedies, but even the ones that are, maybe they're smaller, but they're much closer to home when you're dealing with the tragedy of a broken heart or a broken body or just broken dreams. When something bad comes into our life, we ask, why, Lord? Why did you let this happen to me? I don't know about you, but if you're like me, sometimes when you ask that question, you ask God why, but then you don't really listen to the answer that God provides because you're so busy trying to figure out on your own why such a thing might have happened to you. So we ask the question, we just don't listen to what God has to say about it. If you've ever found yourself uh, doing that, like trying to reason out in your mind, because that's what we do. Something bad happens, we immediately try to assign causality to it. Like, this tragedy happened in my life, therefore it's because, I don't know, God's getting even with me for something I did seven years ago. That's why the karma truck ran over me today. Right? If you find yourself doing that, you're not alone. People, people have been trying to ask that question since the beginning of brokenness in this world. But oftentimes people will ask that question, but they aren't really listening for the answer. That's what was going on in the gospel reading that we had for this morning, when these people come up to Jesus and they talk about a tragedy that was ripped out of the headlines. They're like, Jesus, did did you see what the governor did? Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem? There were these Galileans who were at the temple worshiping. They were in church. And Pilate sent in his soldiers and they killed them. Killed them while they were worshiping. You know, implicit in their statement really is that question, why would this happen? But you know, they weren't really all that interested in Jesus' answer because in their mind they'd already had it figured out. It's hardly their fault. Their religious leaders, the Pharisees, had taught them their whole lives that bad things don't happen to good people. So if something bad happens to you, it's because Well, you did something wrong, and God's punishing you for the sin that you did. These folks that were talking to Jesus, they had an idea about why this might have happened to these particular folks. They were, after all, Galilean. So Galilee was the northern province. It was a part of Israel that had been conquered early and often and resettled with lots of different people. So the people of the south of Judea, they looked at the people of the north as, well not as pious, not as uh, pure, not as godly as these good southern Judeans. And these particular Galileans, man, they must have done something wrong if you end up getting killed in church. I mean, right? Whatever they did, it must have been bad. When Jesus spoke to them, the answer he gave them 
It must have set them back on their heels because he took the question that they were asking and he answered it in a way that they never would have expected. Listen to what he said. He said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. They were asking questions, but why did a bad thing happen to these people? And Jesus turns it into instruction on their repentance. And then he even fixes it, you know, in case they were thinking this is about Galileans, he's like, well, you want another tragedy from the headlines? How about when the Tower of Siloam fell? That happened in Jerusalem, by the way. And it fell on top of 18 people, all Judeans, just like you. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on, fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. It must have been an answer that they were not expecting, right? They wanted, they wanted an answer to why did evil exist in the world, and Jesus instead says, you know what this is? This is an opportunity to talk about your repentance. It's interesting. He starts out by saying, um, no, God doesn't work based on karma. That act of political evil on the part of the governor, Pontius Pilate, was not because these Galileans were more sinful than some other Galileans. Same thing with the good Judeans on whom the, the rocks of the Tower of Siloam fell. God didn't do that because they were being punished for being sinful. Jesus' point is that when bad things happen, whether it's acts of evil or tragic accidents, it is not God punishing us. It is not how God works. But this was the part that set them back. Jesus said, it is God warning us. He says, when you see the brokenness of the world, whether you're watching TV about Ukraine or you're looking at your life, when you see the brokenness of the world, Jesus said, it should be a reminder that this brokenness, this evil is not part of God's plan. And God said he does have a plan to one day remove every bit of evil from this world and remove every evil person in it. And he says that should be occasion for us to repent. Repent of our part of this brokenness in this world. Repent that we might be ready for the day when God removes every evil and every evildoer. So repentance is uh, one of the chief characteristics of the Christian life. Um, Jesus says that all of us have a need to repent daily. There's a reason why we repent of our sins at the beginning of every church service. Um, if you remember, repentance consists of two parts. The first part is contrition. Contrition is where the law of God shows us our sin and our conscience, our conscience understands that we should be judged for this sin. That God says he's a holy God and he only wants holy people near him and and contrition means recognizing just how unholy I am and understanding that on my own, arrow pointing up, I'd have no chance. But the second part of repentance is faith. Faith that God works in our heart through the work of the Spirit that trusts that God will forgive us of our sins for the sake and the merits of Jesus. Faith that God will comfort that wounded conscience and soothe the troubled soul with the promise, I have forgiven your wickedness 
and I remember your sins no more. So repentance is something that we need every day because we sin every day. It's the act of contrition and faith, understanding my sinfulness and trusting in my Savior. And Jesus says that that is a chief characteristic of the Christian life because this is who we are. We're forgiven sinners. We also need to be reminded about daily repentance because Jesus wants repentance to be followed by fruits. What does that mean? Um, Jesus said that repenting of our sins is not just being contrite and having faith in God's forgiveness. It's also then results in us turning away from the sin in which we were. That's a fruit of repentance. So like if if a man is hurting his family and he repents of his sin, and Jesus forgives him, then the fruit of his repentance is that he stops hurting his family, right? That's what makes it, that's a fruit of repentance. If a child is being disobedient to their parents, they can repent of their sins, Jesus forgives them for it, the fruit of their repentance would be for them to stop being disobedient to their parents. This is all tied up with the idea that the work of Jesus, when he came to die on the cross for us, he didn't come here to die to give us the right to sin and to sin and to sin some more. That's not why he came. Jesus didn't come to set us free to sin all we wanted to. He came to set us free from sin entirely, that it might no longer be our master. You see, what God wants for us is to fulfill the purpose for which he made us, to be beacons of light and righteousness in the midst of this dark and broken world. The picture that he uses is like a tree planted in a garden that produces fruit after fruit after fruit. It was an instruction on repentance that I, I think the people there were not really getting. You know, maybe it's a lesson that you and I don't always get either. That's why Jesus tells this parable. This is what he says. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. He said to the man who takes care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So Jesus starts with a picture that would have been familiar to all of the people of Israel. Fig trees were prevalent throughout Palestine, and uh, figs were an important staple of the first century Palestinian diet. Um, So certainly God's people were familiar not just with the tree, but also with the the implications of what a fig tree meant. Because you see, in the Old Testament, fig trees were symbols of... uh, Uh, you know, productivity and fruitfulness, and that meant that you were enjoying peace and prosperity. So like the the dream of every Israelite would be that uh, he could sit under his own vine and fig tree. That's the expression they used. If you got your own vine, you've got grapes. You've got your own fig tree, you've got food. And if you're able to sit under your own vine and fig tree, that means you're in a time of peace and a time of prosperity. So fig trees, by definition, were fruitful. That's what they did. To have an unfruitful fig tree, uh, I read a blog once by a guy named Chad Bird who described it as being acting exactly contra- being contrary to nature. An unfruitful fig tree is like, like uh, dry water or hot snow. It, just, it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. Fig trees can't be unfruitful, especially when they have everything they need. And in Jesus' story, this fig tree lacked nothing. Certainly didn't lack 
time. You know, when you hear that the owner waited three years, we always have to remember the Old Testament law. It was longer than that. In the Old Testament, when you planted a fig tree, God had a law that said for the first three years, you can't eat any of its fruit. Then the fourth year, all the fruit that year was dedicated to God. You didn't eat that either. So by the time we're talking about this fig tree, this owner would have been waiting at least seven years. Not a fruit to be found. He kept coming back and looking but all he found are fruitless branches. Is there a part of your spiritual life where God shows up again and again looking for fruit but only finds fruitless branches? Thank goodness that this parable doesn't end there. There's a gardener. A gardener who says, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This, this parable is so important because if you are like me, and there are parts of your spiritual life where God keeps showing up looking for fruits and not finding any, we need to recognize something. That the fact that God's not punishing us for that doesn't mean he accepts it doesn't mean he's allowing it. All it means is that he's showing us mercy, giving us time to repent of that sin and lead a fruitful life. And it's not acceptance, it's mercy. That's what we have in the person of Jesus who stands between us and the Father and says, Father, give us time. But it's really interesting. The farmer doesn't say, excuse me, the gardener doesn't say, let's just wait one more year, does he? He doesn't say, let's just continue on with what hasn't worked for the last seven years. Now, Jesus doesn't ask for mercy from God the Father so that he might wait on us. Wait to see if we finally figure it out. Wait to see if we can finally, you know, start producing fruits of faith. No, Jesus asked for mercy so that he might have time to work on us. He says, let me dig around the roots. Let me fertilize it. He uses God's word. He uses the people around you. He uses brothers and sisters in faith to urge us and move us to lives of fruitfulness and faithfulness. Sometimes he even uses manure. Let me spread some fertilizer on it. Sometimes you're going to find out Jesus spreading a little manure in your life. But the point, the point is that Jesus is working on you, not waiting for you working on you that you and I might fulfill the potential, the, the, the nature for which God made us, that we might live as beacons of light and righteousness in a sin-darkened world. Jesus ends the parable right there. We never find out about what happens to the fig tree. Does it produce fruit and become a productive tree in the garden of the Father? Or does it end up on the burn pile? Jesus leaves that parable open-ended because, of course, this parable is a, is a to-be-continued story for every individual, isn't it? And Jesus would have us consider the two outcomes, the two paths through life. One being tended by the Savior who works around us, who fertilizes, who, who helps produce in us the fruits of faith that we might be fruitful trees in the garden of our Father. Says the other... Well, the other is the axe and the burn pile. 
Jesus is making an appeal to these people who are coming to him just like he makes an appeal to you and I. But here's the thing. Jesus is, Jesus is not asking us to... Uh, there's no way you and I can like, right the wrong we've done in the past. Here's the beauty of it. Jesus says he'll do that for you. He will pick up every one of your sins. He will gather up all of your guilt. And when he took them to the cross... He paid for them in full so he can look at you and me and say, I have forgiven your wickedness and I can remember your sin no more. He calls you his own dear child. And now he promises to work in us and on us and through us that we might have that spirit-driven resolution to leave sin behind and produce the fruits our Father takes great joy in. It was an answer they didn't expect. Maybe one we didn't either. When you see tragedy, whether it's in the headlines of the world or just the headlines of your life, know that we're living in a broken world, but know that it's not going to stay broken forever. Our Father has a plan to root evil out of this world. Knowing that means we live lives of repentance, trusting in our Savior for his forgiveness, turning from sin, fulfilling the potential and the reason for which God made us, because the repentant life is always a fruitful life. God grant it. Amen.